Hello, and welcome to the Second Chapter Podcast. I'm your host, Kristen Duffy. As my regular listeners will know, I am on a mission to shout to the world that women do not become invisible, but have stories to tell at every age, and to remind you that it's never too late to start your next chapter. Before I bring on this week's guests, I have a few requests to help you to help me on my mission. First of all, please subscribe and tell a friend to subscribe to the podcast. Secondly, I'm publishing a new newsletter. Same vibe as the second chapter podcast, positive stories of female power, the second chapter news, and a quote or two to get you thinking. I won't spam you, expect it every couple weeks, and I'm sending out the second chapter stickers to the first 100 subscribers. Sign up at thesecondchapterpodcast.com. This week, I'm speaking with Catalin, known as Kate Brindley. Kate started out as a mechanical engineer in her native Hungary, quickly realizing that an office life wasn't for her. Since moving to the UK, she's had stints as a PA and eventually found a career she loved in massage therapy. But it was a Christmas gift from her husband that reminded her how much she loved caking. Now, at 40, she's an award-winning cake artist and has never before felt so much passion for her work and the happiness it brings to her clients. I can't imagine a more miserable existence than getting up in the morning and dreading to go to work. You have to put those fears aside and be afraid and just do it anyway. Hi, Kate. Welcome to the second chapter. How are you? Oh, good. Thank you. Thank you for being here. How was your weekend? Oh, yes, it was busy. Busy delivering a wedding cake. So cakes is where you are now. But since you're with the second chapter, we know you're going to have a story about reinvention and, and different things that have happened. You were born in Hungary and I'm, I know you're in the UK now. So what brought you initially to England? That was another story of reinvention. I studied as a mechanical engineer back home. And soon after I realized that I, as much as I enjoyed studying it, I really didn't want to do it and sit in an office in an international company and just design things or whatever. Uh, so I came to England to learn some language and uh, I got stuck here. <laughs> I feel like that's a familiar story because so many people I talk to who are from somewhere else, we all think, I know I thought that I'd be here for maybe a few years and... I don't know if I got stuck, but I definitely didn't plan on being here as long as I have been. At first, I didn't either, really, but I came to learn the language. That's what I was thinking at first. And then I spent a little time playing with horses. And then the lady I was working for at the time, sort of working for, it was more or less slave labor. <laughs> Not quite that bad. It, it's just, it was just an unpaid position, work experience, she called it. But it was good enough for me because she, she fed us and I could learn language and I didn't have to pay for accommodation. So that was fine. And she offered me a job basically to come back because I was good with horses. And, and so I came back for a year. So is this somebody that had the horse farm or? A riding school. Riding school. Yeah, yeah. Did you have experience with horses growing up or was this just a coincidence? I always loved horses. I, I in love with them really so at home I had a few lessons I was okay with them I could I could handle horses and then once you know that you had this slave slave labor and had the opportunity to come back where did you go from there and was it something that you were at this point uh once you'd learned the language did it fe start to feel like home or was there some reason that you really felt like you wanted to be in England I knew I didn't want to go back home and yes, I did start to feel at home as well, although there was a great deal of drama in the first couple of years, but I was very comfortable in England. And up to those first couple of years, I was really good 
in my language as well. So I could actually move on from horses and get on with other things. You used the same word when we were emailing back and forth prior to chatting, the word drama. So that just sounds really interesting. I can't skip over that without asking, what was the drama that was going on? The lady I worked for at first obviously didn't like paying much. So after a year, I accepted a, an offer from another horsey sort of set of people, uh, with troll jumpers. But then the person who owned this whole venture turned out to be a fraudster. Whoa. <laughs> so in the end, he disappeared. He actually made it into the horse and hound as an, as an article because he was such a big fraud, really. He ended up escaping to France on a boat that he borrowed from somebody for fishing. And apparently he sent him a text message telling him where he could find his boat in France because he sailed there from England, <laughs> escaping the law. <laughs> so this wasn't something that he'd borrowed like, oh, hi, friend, can I borrow your boat? It was something like... And he, I think he rented it for fishing. He rented it for fishing and, and he just sailed to France. And then said, I'm a fraudster, but I'm not such a bad guy that I'm going to steal your boat. I'll just tell you where it is if you want to come get it. He was the weirdest of fraudsters in the world because he got a lot of money out of a lot of people and he had nothing to show for it. So it was, he was a very useless fraudster, to be honest. And for me, what it meant was just, I was stuck. It was a farm and he left behind a lot of horses, a lot of animals. The man had a problem, like he collected animals, like other people collect stamps. He had two ferrets, two rabbits, two hamsters, six lizards. I think he had eight cats, four dogs. And I, I ended up keeping one of the doggies because we got very fond of each other. But that was like about two, no, more like four weeks when I literally had nowhere to go because I sorted out the horses. The owner of the farm, which was rented, obviously wanted his farm back. So once the animals were sorted, RSPCA was involved, all that, I had to move to. So then a friend's parent gave me shelter basically for a couple of weeks. And then, and then I just found a job where to move to that. That was it really, but it was a little bit dramatic. So with the job that you ended up moving to, I'm assuming this wasn't your lifelong dream type career. I think you are doing some <laughs> no. personal assistance. <laughs> it was a necessity. <laughs> so you were doing personal assisting and things like that for a while? Yes. This was the next couple of years that I moved to Mill Hill and this person in Mill Hill had a farm. And still had horses, so I could ride his horses in my free time. And there I was doing personal assisting slash nanny slash housekeeping, all sorts. I even helped out with their horses sometimes. So it was a personal assistant in a very wide range of, of roles involved. <laughs> <laughs> I would call it a life assistant more than a personal assistant oh, at this probably, point. Probably, <laughs> yeah. Yes. He put me down as a personal assistant, but yes. I think at this point you've moved on to massage. Is that what was next? Sort of. This was when I started studying massage. So at the end of halfway through this role, I started studying and then I moved on to my next PA role, which was more like a PA role really, that was still in London in Ealing. And there I stayed for four years. And on the side, I started to do uh, mobile massaging once I was qualified. Was that something that was based on your own experience with massage? Yes. In the first year I was in England, I got really injured by one of the horses. And the riding school owner lady took me to this massage therapist who 
did magic on me, basically. I was feeling so much better afterwards that I started to feel like I wanted to study this, but I was not in the position at the time to start with that. So was your injury something that was back-related or was it? It was a back-related thing. Basically, one of the horses had a bit of a tick. He would just kick, not because he wanted to, just if you lifted his leg, basically, he would sometimes just suddenly snap it out. And that's what happened. He didn't kick me, but I had to move away very fast and I moved in a bad way and my back just went. I think it's interesting when something happens sometimes to you physically or when you've been treated by a doctor or a therapist or something that that does create that magic, it becomes something that you kind of want to do the same thing for other people. That's what happened, yes. (laughs) And as far as massage, I know that's something you're still doing, but how old were you when you qualified for your massage therapy? I qualified in 2012. I was, I think, 30. Yeah, I think 30. And as far as that goes, I know that's something that you're still doing. Is it something that you do feel that you're How has that affected your life as far as, does it bring you the kind of fulfillment that you would like? It it does bring a lot of satisfaction because uh, obviously my clients know that I do more cakes now than massages. And uh, they often tell me that I must not stop. (laughs) (laughs) And it does make you feel a bit satisfied with, with what you're doing because obviously you're making a difference for these people. So that's a nice feeling. And do you have a specialty in the world of massage? I sometimes joke that I torture people for because the kind of massage they come to me for is, is usually very deep. I'm not a vigorous therapist. I, I do deep and slow. And that usually helps people with things, deep tissue issues that others couldn't help them with. Sometimes, often, people come from to me from... Um, like physiotherapists and say, I've been to so many and nobody could help and and you're my last resort and I don't believe this would help. And then it did. I think I have a fairly high tolerance to pain, I think. I've done a lot of <laughs> I've done a lot of endurance sports and I've done a lot of things that challenge me physically and mentally. But I have had a couple of massages and one the reason I'm bringing it up is one it was very recent. But the torture thing is real. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. This guy had me almost in tears and he kept saying, I'm barely touching you. And I'm sorry, it was painful. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, it does get that way. Help me understand that. So next time I'm laying there being tortured, I can be like, there is a good reason. But is it really just a matter of breaking down muscle fibers or what is what happens to someone that they need to get that deep of a massage? It's bad habits, mostly. They just do things over and over to themselves and the muscles build up a muscle memory and just stay that way, which is what builds up the knots and just the tensions. It's when people wear their shoulders as earrings sort of thing, which you don't seem to be doing. (laughs) As you said that, though, I was like, pull your shoulders down on your back. (laughs) Yeah, important thing. I do think about that a lot, though, because I do have a very bad habit, especially on one side. Yes. I played the violin. I've had a broken collarbone. I've separated my shoulder on that side. So that one side is especially so tempted to just... It's probably partly the collarbone, I imagine, because the muscle really remembers if there was an injury. Mm. And that, that protective hold will tend to come back over and over. 
So I like a, a relaxing massage. I'm not so keen on the torturous ones, but between the massage and the cake, I feel like you do two things that I'm like, I need you in my life. <laughs> <laughs> Both helps people for sure. So tell me what happened that you decided to switch to cakes or that you've now made these, this life of both things running parallel? Well, I always loved making cakes, so that was not anything new. I always made cakes and decorated them. And uh, for a while, I did it just as a hobby. But then it becomes an expensive hobby because all the material, the tools and everything. So I started to do it for people just covering the cost, basically. And it really suits my artistic nature. I, I, I like art and painting and all sorts of things. So one Christmas, it was the, I think it was the first year when I moved to Milton Keynes, my husband bought me a cake making and decorating course as a present just to have fun, which ever since he said that it's a gift that keeps giving because he loves cake. <laughs> oh, keeps giving to him, not to you. Oh, yes, that's, that's it. That's it. So it just really reminded me how much I love doing it properly and, and yeah I just thought okay I need to stop massaging as much as I do anyway because it's very hard on the hand what I do and yeah I just thought okay this is a great way of, of switching over. It doesn't seem like the kind of thing though that you went oh I need to relax my hands a little bit I'll just make some really intricate cakes. <laughs> yes I, okay I admit that it is often hard on the hands yes. <laughs> But nowhere near as hard as what I do to people. It's interesting, though, because you say it suits your artistic nature. And you also mentioned that your very first field of study was mechanical engineering. So what happened along the way that you missed or that you just didn't pursue something that was a bit more artistic to begin with? Never came up, to be honest. What it was that I grew up in a semi-rural place where it was expected that you would study something and then do that for the rest of your life. Yes. And my mom did cakes a lot and did it for other people as well. And she loved it as a hobby and on the side, but she was a secretarial person. She, she worked in an office and that was what my dad expected me to do. My sister grew up and she was a dressmaker in the end. Now she's an accountant, by the way. <laughs> so that's another <laughs> story of reinvention. But anyway. And, and they encouraged me towards these sort of works. And I was just thinking that I will not do any of that. And to go against everything they did, I went for a technical high school and design engineering sort of university course. So sort of a rebellious move to say, I'm not yes. going to follow this footsteps. Yes, none of that. <laughs> I feel like you're basically a similar generation to me, but at the same time, even you know, we're not that old, <laughs> I don't like to think, but even just that many years ago, there was an expectation, I think, both that you would have a career that you kept, that you study, you keep going, and mm. that's that. And also if your family pushing you, and I guess that still happens all the time, but your family pushing you in a mm. direction that's what they expect. I was never good with that, I'm afraid. There was quite a bit of drama when I moved out from home just to the uni, they didn't talk to me for three months because my parents were so keen on me living at home when I go to school. And the five hours of commute didn't matter. <laughs> I feel the same way as well. I had that. I didn't end up going to school very far from where my parents were, but I just didn't want to live at home. I mean, I was yes. like, I'm determined that I'd rather work and pay my way 
and be able to live away and, you know, start my independence. As far as the fact that your mom made cakes, like you said, you always liked making cakes. Was that something that you did together when you were growing up? Oh, yes. I I always wanted to be involved. I really did like the cake butter. Not so much keen on the cake itself, but I loved the butter and and I loved that that sort of the process, how it turned into something that it really wasn't. Yeah, because baking is really scientific. I really like cooking and I really like baking as well, but... I'm not so scientific. I'm not so suited to the sort of very precise kind of measurements. Do you think that is that related as well in your life? Uh, I can't say I'm a very scientific baker. Once or twice, I will follow. I mean, I follow my recipes, but but they do develop a, a sort of stand where you just feel how far you can go in terms of changing them. And so I often find that I just do it a little bit intuitively when it comes to figuring out something new or, or a new recipe or whatever. So I, think, I can't say I'm terribly scientific. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That means there's still hope for me. What attracted me to your cakes and your website is that they're so beautiful. But obviously, when it comes down to it, the, a cake can be as pretty as it can be a piece of art. But unless it tastes nice, people don't want the cakes. So when it comes to these kind of experiments and what's your specialty, what's your flavor choice or what do you really like to do when it comes to cakes? Oh, poppy seeds. Okay. Poppy seeds are very big in Hungary, not so big in England, because when you see a poppy seed and lemon cake in England, it's going to be dotted with a few tiny little specks of black seed and, and that's about it going to be basically just a lemon cake. For me, a poppy seed cake is black. It's black because of the seed that's in there. It's pretty much 50-50 flour and, and poppy seed ground that, that I love. That's one weakness of mine. I don't do cakes otherwise. I do cakes in a sense of doing them, but I don't eat them very often. <laughs> I just like making and decorating, but, but poppy seed cakes are my weakness. They, they are yummy. Do you get a lot of orders for poppy seed cakes? I can't say I'm afraid. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, something, it's something I'm trying to introduce to everybody. <laughs> but, but I do have a few upcoming weddings where one gentleman, he, his family, someone in his family was from Hungary and, and he knows poppy seed cake and, and he didn't even try my poppy seed cake. He just said, yes, I go for that. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to introduce it. When I go to wedding fairs, I often make poppy seed cake for, for samples as well as the other plain thing. And it's tends to go there really well, actually. (laughs) Yeah, I was thinking, obviously, I've had the English version of lemon poppy seed cake, but I I don't think I've ever had one where it's actually gone to the level of being black with the mix of the flour. But that sounds so good. It is your man. Oh, yes. Everyone is a convert who tried it. They have to will to try it first. I'll try anything, especially if it's something like a nice cake. So I will definitely have that list on my list of things to try. Well, I'm not sure. Where about are you based? I'm in London. Well, if you ever go to Ealing, there is a really lovely Polish cafe and they make really good poppy seed cake. All right. I will remember <laughs> that. Next time I'm there, I'm going to have some poppy seed cake and I'll let you know, like true poppy <laughs> seed cake, what I think. <laughs> So now you're balancing massage and cakes, two of my favorite things, as I mentioned. How are you finding that balance? I think that so many of us, myself included, it's not necessarily that you give up one thing to move on to something else. And maybe you have one thing that you spend more time on. But how do you really balance two very different and two very hand-challenging careers? The balance is 
Towards caking. Yes, definitely towards caking. These days I don't do any more than two clients a day. Less if I have more complicated cake orders. So these days I, I more or less just do the old regulars, those who count on me still. <laughs> the people who said, please don't ever stop doing this. Indeed, yes. <laughs> I need you. You do feel a little bit of responsibility there. Eventually it will stop, of course. I, I always tell them that I have bad news for you. I will not be doing this forever. And as far as just even balancing, because those are both things that are freelance or your own business kind of things as well. How do you balance your time or how do you find ways to promote both things? Messaging is easy. I don't promote anymore because originally I promoted on Google as anybody does, the click and pay and click or whatever it is called. But that's known enough these days that organically some people find it. And then they usually get disappointed because they can't get the next day appointment. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, uh, but I don't promote that anymore at all. In terms of caking, I, I'm listed on Hitched and I do to wed go to wedding fairs. But I don't promote it yet because I'm really bad at marketing. So <laughs> first I'm doing like, it's like a coaching, online coaching thing for wedding professionals in marketing in particular. So I'm fixing my website that's a lot better than it used to be. So I'm just preparing it to be more appealing for those people who would like the kind of artistic cakes that I like making. And I've seen that you have this beautiful, intricate sugar work and these flowers that are really realistic. Would you say those are kind of your specialty? One of them is definitely the painting. I love painting cake and also I like making things with real icing, like little intricate structures and piping work and that sort of stuff. The really fiddly business. <laughs> yeah, because when you say, you know, in, when you say I like making things with real icing, it's, oh, okay, she likes to ice a cake. And I've looked at these pictures and it <laughs> is so intricate. It's like lace. That's it. That's pipe lace. It's so amazing. <laughs> oh, yes. And it's so versatile. You can have them made so they stand up by themselves and put it around the cake and you can still put stuff on the cake and oh my god wonderful <laughs> is that the kind of stuff your mom was doing as well or is that something that you've learned as you've gone and with that cake course you took that was not my mom's thing that, that, that's me that my mom had never had the patience for that and she keeps telling me that she would never be able to do that because it's my I, I like challenges I really like fiddling with difficult things because that appeals to my nature. <laughs> it, it just needs to be difficult. And then I'm really into getting it perfected. <laughs> Once you have it perfected, though, do you start getting bored or are you like, okay, now I know how to do this. This is my specialty. I'm all in. I don't think you can ever do that, especially not with real icing and, and sugar flowers, because there is always a step forward and a step further. And also real icing is a temperamental thing to work with. So I think I could do a lifetime and still not learn everything that there is to be learned about it. But even though you're still fairly early on in this career, you've won some really significant awards, I think. Yeah, I did well. I did well. <laughs> you're too modest. Tell us about your reward. Tell us about your award. That was last year at the Cake International, where, long story, because COVID actually delayed my original entry with two years. So the cake that I made and that won a silver award was in the making for two years. Obviously, it spent quite a lot of time on the shelf for a while, but, but still, and we got there. And unfortunately, 
I managed to damage it on the way there. So it wasn't at its best when we got there, but still it was a silver award. And talking to the judge, he thought that it was a little bit harshly judged by the other judges. So it could have been a bold maybe, but never mind. That was my first internationals, cake internationals. So, so I was pretty happy with that. And then I won a gold award with my painted biscuit, which was a funny one because I was running so late with the cake that I, I, I just threw the biscuit together in the last week. And that won a gold and came third in the class as well. So that was good. <laughs> Obviously here we see like the Great British Bake Off and all these kind of things where everybody's <laughs> rushing and being judged on their cakes. And you say you had this cake that was two years in the making. How do you prepare for a big competition like that? Is it when you say two years in the making, is it that you were trying all different things? Is it that you were building parts of it? No, it would have been it would have been ready for the original date, but the original date was cancelled because of COVID. So it went on the shelf. But the way you prepare for it really is that you first have to consider what actually you would like to do and then just start making the things that take the longest and take time to, to dry, really, especially with royal icing. You create your pattern, you create your design and then pipe it or do whatever you need to do with it. In terms of realizing it could be cloding as well and whatnot. Sewing around is funny words. But the point is that realizing bits and bobs need drying and they often need quite a lot of drying. So you would start with that and of course flowers because again, drying time is important. And then, yeah, you just puzzle it together really. So when you're making something so intricate and so artistic, is it, or for a competition like this, is it judged solely on artistry or is it something where they taste the cake? At the Cake International is, I think there is a Bake International version this year as well. They added the actual flavor element to it, but the Cake International is just about the decoration. They're usually not even real cakes. They are just dummies. So a dummy cake with lots of really beautiful sugar on it. Yep. <laughs> that makes me feel better about your two-year-old on the shelf cake. <laughs> oh, bless. Oh, oh, gosh, wouldn't have survived that. <laughs> It would be Bless. funny to see somebody come along now and go, oh, yum, cake. <laughs> <laughs> Not even for a fruit cake. <laughs> it wouldn't be funny before you got judged, but it might be funny afterwards. <laughs> yeah. That's it. So do you have aspirations to keep going with competitions and things like that? Does that excite you? Oh, yes. I'm going for the, the one this year. Okay. So we'll see what happens. This time it will be a wedding cake, three or more tiers, and a... Uh, Painted cake category. From what I've seen on your Instagram and your website, the painted cakes are really like realistic, as if you were painting a canvas kind of thing. Uh, that's pretty much what's happening because they are, I use a cocoa butter and color dusts, which means that it turns into much like oil paint, really. Absolutely beautiful. Like you said, your artistic nature is definitely every single one of the cakes that I've seen of yours are a piece of art. It's not just what we see down at the corner bakery necessarily. <laughs> The idea. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and where is all this happening? Is this happening in the kitchen that I happen to see you sitting in now? Yeah, yeah. So, of course, we're on a podcast. Not everybody's seeing you. So, yeah, it just looks like my kitchen. Where you see a, a sort of pinky lilac fringe behind me, that's the cake fridge. <laughs> so, you have a special fridge, but other than that, it's just you are uh, making these it. beautiful things. Wow. I'm impressed because you picture the big industrial kind of things. but That comes at a price. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and what's kind of the aspiration then? Is it just to be so busy that 
obviously you can't do massage anymore. And would you like to keep continuing out of the kitchen or is the idea that you'll have a storefront? I would like to have a separate cake kitchen in the end, but my old storefront, possibly with a showroom, more like a showroom with it in a way, because I would never want to turn into a cake shop as such. Yeah, because each one is its own. Yes. Yeah, I don't want off the shelf things. How long does it take to make one for just for a regular wedding, not an international competition? Uh, well, it does depend on the design. Uh, I made one for somebody in February, which was on the website, I think, or at least on, on Instagram, which was painted horses on. And uh, again, it was quite an intricate one. That order came in last minute took two months to complete. Wow. And I troubled it to Durham. <laughs> From Milton Keynes, that is quite a while. So yeah, uh, the more complicated the cake is, the more time it takes. A realistic sugar rose can take up to five hours to complete that single rose. Wow. So it, it's a long time. Yeah. This isn't just like you said, something you want to just sell off a shelf. <laughs> you can't. <laughs> An average cake obviously doesn't take that much. I would say if it's reasonably decorated, then it would take anything between 20 to 40 hours. And obviously you're pursuing this and not even knowing that it was your dream, but it turned out to be what suits you. What kind of, if somebody's listening and they are considering following something that maybe they didn't expect to be following or considering a new career, like you said, we weren't necessarily raised to expect that. Do you have advice for somebody that might be thinking about something like that? I'm not sure if it is advice. I think they just need a, a sort of attitude to, to want to do what they love doing, because I can't imagine a more miserable existence than getting up in the morning and dreading to go to work because they don't enjoy. Uh, I, I never thought about anything what I did as, as work, because to me, it was just life and I just did what I was doing. And it doesn't matter what you do. I mean, if, even if you retire, you, you will do stuff. So there is no such thing as work. And I think that attitude really helped me over years when I wasn't exactly doing something I loved doing. I always think having lived in different places, different countries, and you think you, life is going to change somehow. And of course, life changes, your surroundings change, but you're still the same person going to school or going to work or living in a flat in London versus Hungary or America or what have you. And so when you said that about not thinking of something as work, it is interesting because it is your attitude and it's you still going to this place every day. So if you think about it as your life instead of as a chore, well, that's the difference and that all the difference that needs to be, I think, if it, as long as it's never a chore, then I think you will always move towards something that, that you enjoyable. It does take a little bit of bravery, I think. not so much bravery, how to put it, because I can't say that I have no fear in some situations, like it can be quite a scary thing to deliver a wedding cake, for example. It has to look good and it can't have an accident. But but you have to put those fears aside and, and be afraid and just do it anyway. Yeah, that's the thing. I think when somebody says bravery, they picture this like, I'm not afraid at all kind of thing. But of course, we're all afraid. It's just whether you do something about it or not. I think it's important to accept that life does change. And um, a lot of people try to hang on to use things that they're used to. And that, I think, is a great source of suffering because the fear of change can really ruin someone's life. Yeah, I agree. I always ask people to bring a quote. I don't know if you have a quote for me today. Oh, blimey. I have a whole 
poem for you, but I'm not sure if I'm very good at reciting it. <laughs> I would love to hear it. Okay. So that's Invictus from uh, William Ernst Hanley. Do you want to hear the Lord? Is, if the, is there a part that particularly inspires you or particularly applies to you? It's basically just the last porch for last four lines of it, which says, it matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. And that's really what I lived by always. And it never led anywhere bad. I mean, there were moments which were, oh, I had to take a deep breath or two, but you moved on and found a way. And you, and that, I think that's what it really is. You, you find your way. You just have to get on with it. Yeah. Like you said, there's always some drama <laughs> or there can be. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's life, the drama. <laughs> I, I know having studied drama that drama is the presence of conflict. But if you imagine a life without any drama or any conflict, it sure would be boring. Indeed, yes. Yeah. It's always fun, even if it's not fun at the time. But you look back and, and you had to laugh. Exactly. <laughs> I always just looked back and I laughed. If someone is somewhat close to Milton Keynes, so they don't have, you don't have to go too far with these delicate cakes, <laughs> but if somebody's looking to order a cake or what's the best way to find you? Oh, an email is quite perfect. And it's KB Designs? If it's the website, they can have a look at katebrindleycakedesign.co.uk. Perfect. And I will make sure that all of your contact information is in show notes so people can find you. And I have to say to people listening, they have got to look at pictures of these cakes because they are so beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> is there anything else you would like to say to the people listening today? No, really. I, I think they just need to follow their hearts and have a happy life. <laughs> I thank you very much, Kate, for coming to join me today. And I've loved looking at your cakes. And I'm really excited now to go out and find some poppy seed, some proper poppy seed cake to try. Thank you and, and enjoy. <laughs> Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, tell a friend, follow us on Instagram, and sign up for the Second Chapter newsletter. The Second Chapter is brought to you by Slackline Productions a production company dedicated to redressing the balance of women's stories being told and who's telling them with a specific focus on women 35 plus. You can find us at the second chapter podcast.com and slacklineproductions.co.uk. Thanks again.